Can we just keep the music going in the background the whole time? Music. Would that work? I'd love to. It's very cheery. It'd be nice. Well, well, we could do it until it runs out. No, we'll just <laughs> turn it off. I don't know what I'm doing. You're better at this than I am. <laughs> Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you? Welcome. Welcome to Tuesday Memo Podcast. Yes. Welcome, everyone. Whoever's <laughs> listening. I'm Ann Sanderson. I'm a small business owner in Portland, and I'm here to talk about local politics. And I'm Eric Fruits. I'm just your sidekick. <laughs> and engineer this morning. And and engineer. Yeah, I think I'm going to get fired after today. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see how you do on the on the exit music. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I have to do that too, don't I? Yes, you do. Oh, so geez. be ready. Okay. So, good morning. This is Friday, and we're here for Tuesday Memo, the podcast that keeps you up to date on the local ongoings of the local government. And we have some topics to cover today. Lots of things happened this week. Yes, there are. And just so you know, everyone, we're doing this over Skype, which is why it sounds a little tinny. We're working on it, but we're also doing this with all free software. <laughs> which is great. Which is I great. Mean, the remember, it's, to... it's about content, not production. Well, it, it's also about everything, but I think what it is is the ability to express ideas and disseminate them in to a wider audience. So, A valuable public service to the people of Portland. Well, I hope so, because every day I run across people who said, I didn't know that law passed. I hadn't heard that. And so this is just sort of our shorthand version of getting everyone up to speed so that when they go to the ballot box, or in this case, the ballot envelope, they can um, they can vote with uh, a lot of information. Well, that's what I'm hoping. Uh, I was just talking to some people about voting, uh, people who are, you know, certain different candidates, and they're saying, oh, you know, we really got to boost turnout and this and that. And I, and I said, you know what, the issue is um, – you don't really even have to worry about turnout so much, you know, if you're running for office, uh, because most people who are voting uh, are probably voting for governor. Well, certainly if they're Republicans, because there's a contested race for governor, you know, they're going to open up the ballot and, and, you know, they'll vote for governor and that's about it and and leave everything else blank. And I said, so the trick as a candidate, if you're running for something else, like commissioner or whatever, you don't have to get people to to open up their ballots and check it off. You just need to convince the people who already have their ballots open and are ready to send them in to actually fill out some more boxes. It's a lot easier than you think it is to try to get and people to vote for your, your office. Well, yeah, voting for down ballot items and people, it's, it's very difficult though to sort yourself out when there are so many places that people get their news today and how do you get their attention? And then how do you prove that you're not, you know, you're not a sort of a third, I, I, don't, I don't want to say anything mean, but it, it's hard to sort out the, the really um, candidates who have the chance to win. So, but, but there are plenty of people on the ballot who are completely viable, um, except for money or name recognition, and they have great ideas. And I'm always I'm always pleased that anyone is running because it's a hard thing to do. And I appreciate anyone who feels the the call to engage the incumbent and to increase the breadth of conversation. Good point. So, what are we talking about today? Besides that, well, you gave me a list of things to talk about. What should we start with? Well, let's start with the $5 million question. 
the five million dollar question, which is not the seven million dollar question, which is not the ninety eight million dollar question. Yeah, that's a lot of different millions, isn't it? Why is it so many different millions? Squandered money. Squandered um, money. So, exactly. So we're talking, of course, about Wapato, which was a, a jail facility that was built with taxpayer-backed bond money in North Portland, uh, close to the river, that sits on 18 acres and has sat empty since it was built. When the county came to us for the money, they wanted money to build it but not to run it, and then ran out of money for actually ever opening the doors. So, well, actually, they never they didn't run out of money. They never had it. Right. Okay, they fine. they were taking kind of a field of dreams approach, where they said, "Well, gee, if we build it, then uh, the voters are going to say, well, gee, we've got this wonderful facility. We bet we should make sure that we allocate money to now run this wonderful thing that we just built." Uh, the voters said, no, we never, we didn't want that, even though we voted to build it, because we had to vote to build it. So it was, did we have a, was there an actual vote to... It was a bond funding? issue. To, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was never a jail. It was never, it was built as a jail, but it was never, not one single person was ever incarcerated there. So it sat empty, and for a long period of time, they weren't able to sell it because you can't sell it until it's paid off, the bonds are paid off. So finally that time passed. And there has been some controversy about how it should be disposed of, whether it should actually be sold or whether it should be um, turned into a homeless shelter, which is a very popular idea, um, but popular with everyone except the county commission, which right. has the final say. So what did they do then? Why is it $5 million instead of the $98 million it costs to build and then mothball for, you know, a decade plus? Well, it tells me that it's worth a lot less than it costs to build it. Well, the original, um, so they put it up to bid and no one, and no one bid on it. And finally someone kept, came forward that someone who says that he wants to use it for a distribution center, a medical distribution center, which we all find rather ironic because there's only one loading dock. So I'm not quite sure how they're going to use it. Well, I wonder if he's going to just tear it down. Isn't that just a shame? Like, what's the carbon footprint even on that? Like, of building and then tearing down without ever using it. It sounds horrible. But it, he... Well, kind of like Trojan nuclear plant. It came online, though. Was it ever used? For like a year. Yeah. Well, <laughs> than anything. This was never used. Never it, used. It, it, everyone who keeps calling it a jail really really misses the point that it never it never had anyone in it as a jail other than being used for film I guess in the film you know it was a film set they rented it out occasionally um, but anyway he originally this guy originally uh, offered 10.8 million dollars and then came back and said nah it's not really worth 10.8 I want to pay 5 5 million dollars for 98 million dollars <laughs> yeah but now the punchline is over it's so now, that, now it'll be off their hands, and uh, as Nixon once said, you, you won't have Wapato to kick around anymore. But wait, there's more, because at the very last minute before voting to accept the $5 million offer, Homer Williams came in with his Harbor of Hope and offered $7 million. Yeah, and, that was a little... I, I he was, wanted to into a homeless shelter, and the county did not take his offer. 
Yeah, I, I was, I'm, I'm always leery of, of those sorts of offers uh, because I think he put in a lot of um, he put in a lot of asterisks on that offer. Like for example, they said that they were going to do a feasibility study first, and if they found any sort of issues with the with the facility, the building, or the land, then they reserved the right to you know renegotiate the price and so they could have gone through this whole process with homer williams and still ended up getting five million dollars true which is and, probably what would have happened and a homeless shelter and a homeless but, shelter and so five million dollars so they say that the reason one of the reasons why they can't use wapato as a shelter is because there's no money to run it however if they were getting seven million dollars and not having to upkeep the property anymore than they would have. So it, it is a, a it turns out to be a, a very contentious issue, and it comes up a lot in interestingly enough the city commissioner races that are out there. Like where you stand on Wapato um, turns out to be something that people are very interested in, even though the city has nothing to do with the with the outcome of it. Oh, now you've just described all of Portland politics, where everyone wants to, uh, everyone is running for the office that they're not actually running for. Like, you'll have city commissioners who want to be, like, the education commissioner. And I always say to myself, well, gee, if you're really so excited about education, why aren't you running for school board? Because the city has nothing to do with education or the schools. Right. Uh, oh, you're, you're really interested in homeless services? Why are you running for city council? Because homeless services is actually the county's job. And mental well, health services is actually the county's job, not the city's job. It, run for the position that you're running for. Don't run for another position. And you see this all the time. So well, when a city commissioner says, oh, you know, I want to, I think we should do X, Y, or Z with Wapato. Well, guess what? There were open positions on the county council. Why didn't you run for those? Well, if you're Loretta Smith, it's because your term is up. No, well, that's true. <laughs> well, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do a small mea culpa here. I, uh, you know, uh, earlier this week was um, Equal Pay Day. Yes. And um, Mayor Ted Wheeler uh, sent out a bunch of really weird tweets to the point where some people were actually asking if he was okay. They thought he might have been drunk or had a stroke or something. And it turns out that. His tweets only had like 60 or 70 percent of the words that were supposed to be in there. Mm. And it was his way of showing that somehow or another that was related to pay equity. Um, I don't see how the number of words in a sentence has anything to do with how you're getting paid. But regardless, I was going to send out a, 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 a response. Essentially, he's going to say, speak for yourself, because I suspected that maybe Ted Wheeler was getting paid more than Gretchen Kafori. Mm -hmm. No. Wrong. Big time wrong. It, she gets paid probably about 30 or 40 percent more than he does, which is, I think, phenomenal considering, I hate to say, how much more work the mayor of Portland is than the county commissioner, right. chair of the county commission. But it's that's what we believe. So are we overpaying the county commission chair or are we underpaying the, the Portland mayor? Or they're different jobs. Maybe it's harder to get someone to do the county job because it's not as glamorous as being mayor. Who knows why those two positions? I don't think that they are one and the same job. If it it would be different. Well, they're not. I I think the because the mayor is actually overseeing bureaus, 
is actually acting as a CEO of, of bureaus, like for example, the police bureau and so forth, that that's actually a bigger job. Right. I, but however, they come from different pots. So each company can pay their own CEOs as much as they want to differently. So just because two companies are similar, and in this case, I don't think they are. I think the county is a really big job. And I think we need really good people in there to keep you know, I don't know, roofs from falling down onto you know, people who are living in shelters, and and this certainly the this. Well, secret. gee, then I guess we're really getting our money's worth out of that one, huh? <laughs> right? If, if she if if she were a CEO, she wouldn't qualify for a bonus this year. Well, I don't know. The rest <laughs> is going out of business, and all of their CEOs have requested bonuses. So I think everyone gets a bonus when you get to that high of a position. Oh, it's like a participation. <laughs> yes. I, well, it turns out that I, I heard the the reason for that, but it's not political, so we won't talk about it. But but I don't think that there it is an issue of equal pay between the two of them. They're doing two different jobs, and they get paid from two different slices of the pie. However, I didn't get. I saw the tweet. You actually don't see the humor in this. No, you don't. Oh my gosh! It's just, no, I, well, I, I think it's just. I do find it interesting that there were these tweets that I totally didn't get out of of Mayor Wheeler. Like those tweets didn't. There, I couldn't find the punchline, and the attention span on Twitter is so short that if you don't, if no one explains it to you almost right away from seeing it, you don't get it. Like well, and he had to explain it. So if you have to explain the joke, then no one's going to get it. Right. No one did get it. So. So, but given given that we've touched on whether whether Kafori should have that high pay for the job that she does, no, um, I didn't we, say that. I'm saying should Ted Wheeler get more? Well, I guess I could, I didn't say she's being overpaid. I said I asked <laughs> is she being overpaid or is Wheeler being underpaid? Right. Well, regardless, pay equity isn't about paying someone else less. It's about paying everyone else more. Right. Pay equity is never about cutting pay. It's always about raising pay. It's about evening out the pay. Then how do you get there? <laughs> well, you get right? the, the, the easiest way to, to solve the income inequality problem is to make rich people poor. <laughs> okay, I can see where that's going to go. Can we just say one more note about Kafori before we leave it? Sure. Last, last week on our podcast, we were even unsure that she was um, – that she was on the ballot this year, this primary, and she is. The reason why we didn't know is that she doesn't have any real contender for the race. Um, no, the there reason are... we didn't know is because we were totally unprepared. <laughs> I was covering. <laughs> you don't have to tell everyone that. I did research today, actually, and I researched who's running against Deborah Kafori. There are three people running against her, and they are um, – small, not very well-known candidates, and even their online presence is, when you're going to do some research um, on who they are, it's hard to find information even coming out of their campaign. So it's not surprising that we didn't really understand who was running against her. Well, then I'm going to give them a shout-out. Okay. And this is in the order that they are in the voters' pamphlet. Okay. So the first one is Wes Soderbeck. S-O-D-E-R-Back. Like, I want my soder back. Um, <laughs> he is someone who works for, a t uh, owns a tech company, somehow uh, provides something to Intel. He is Older. a system integrator slash VAR. 
Mm-hmm. Whatever that means, that's what he does. It's techie. He's a techie. He's a techie. Uh... And then? There's not much else to say about him. Okay, so what else we got? Then we got D, D, letter D, D, Bora, B-O-R-A, Harris. And she is the president of, get this, the D. Harris Leadership Institute. So I did a little research on her because I thought um, her name sounded familiar. She actually ran for mayor in 2016. Oh, okay. So I had met her a couple of times. I uh, also saw a little snippet of she was on Bruce Broussard's show, and I saw her on that. So she has some things to say about the, about the race, and it's interesting to see her name on the ballot again. All right, so what else we got here? And we got one other running against her, Chuck Crockett, king of the wild frontier. He is a medical marijuana grower, educator, and a liberator. And he is, his Facebook page for his campaign has 34 followers. So he's got a few weeks left. He needs to do some work to get his name recognition out there. And uh, he does, uh, I like his description of prior governmental experience, none, but I have extensive experience dealing with the government and its elected officials. I also have a well-respected family member who worked for the city of Portland that I learned under. There's actually a typo. That's why it took me a while to read that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. There are three people running for Multnomah County chair. And against the incumbent, and we wish them all luck in their yeah, race. Yeah, best of luck. Best of luck. Excellent. What's next on the list? Oh, the list. We got a list. Oh, geez. So we talked about Wapato. We've ta- we've corrected the record on Deborah Kafori. Oh, the, the the elephant in the room, the Wheeler in the room. Ted Wheeler is is giving a has given a state of the city state of the city speech. It's the mm-hmm. speech so nice he's giving it twice. He he gave it yesterday uh, at Portland Community College before uh, a cheering crowd of uh, apparently syncophantic fans, and uh, then today he is giving another version or the same version or some version of the State of the City speech to uh, the Tony City Club of Portland's lunch at the Sentinel Hotel. With lunch. So I believe they also, members of City Club will be allowed um, some time for asking him questions. They will be allowed to ask polite questions of the mayor. (laughs) Polite. (laughs) So you watched the, did you watch the speech yesterday? I watched almost all of it. Uh, It was probably about an hour, uh, and I kind of got bored and walked away after 45 minutes. Uh, but I got the gist. Um, I started to listen to it. It's interesting you say that. I started to listen to it and then got bored and read the transcript. But I can't imagine that the transcript was showing me a 45-minute speech, so it must have been an abbreviated transcript as well. No. In fact, this, the transcript or the 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 released version of it is actually longer than the speech because, uh, as some of the news outlets are pointing out, Ted Wheeler actually cut out a part that was in the published statements. Uh, in the published statements, uh, he spent some time talking about how he really wants to hire 93 new police officers. 
Mm-hmm. But when he surveyed the room yesterday, he saw that um, someone or another, he, he read the room and decided, oh, talking about more cops to this group is probably not a good idea, and he decided to cut that part out of his speech. So what? he left out of his, his his spoken comments, did not mention hiring more police. He just simply said, we need more resources. But he actually had a, mentioned in his written comments that he wanted to hire 93 more police. So, so he must have sensed that there was some anti-cop feelings on the campus of PCC. Does he believe it or does he not believe it? Well, I one of my favorite sayings is that a budget is is the best demonstration of a politician's priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if it's still in the budget, uh, then it's probably a priority. But um, it's kind of interesting that he doesn't seem to have the... I don't know what the word is, the guts to actually stand by his commitments and actually describe his priorities in public, that it's something that, um, you know, he'd rather not have discussed in front of people. I mean, they, they, to me, they're, that's something that's very telling. And he can't say, oh, well, gee, my speech was too long because I had to, I had to cut that stuff out. He spent more than almost three minutes saying thank you to different people for being there. Um, he spent a lot of time talking about climate change. A lot of time about climate change. Um, he spent a, quite a bit of time talking about how, you know, he, essentially he's going to be one of the leaders of the resistance against the Trump agenda. Um, any one of those things could have been cut by about five or ten seconds and had enough room to say, oh, and by the way, I really want to hire 93 new police officers because that's really what I want to do, and it's in my written comments, but, oh, gee don't have enough time for that one yeah one would think that he would stand up one of the things I found interesting when I started listening to his speech is as much as I wasn't a fan of Charlie Hales the former mayor he did kind of give a tough speech his state of the state of the city was very um, full of grand plans and I didn't think that Wheeler's speech had enough it had a lot of aspirational language, but not as much concrete concrete vision. You know, for example, needing resources versus we need 93 more cops. You know, were there other places in the speech that perhaps he came up with some something concrete that he wanted to do? I'm trying to look through, I have notes here, believe it or not, I'm looking through my notes, and he was more concrete in what the objective is, in other words, where he wants to be, but he's not very concrete in how we get there. So, for example, um, you know, he says that, uh, uh, like, for example, he wants to have... uh, he wants to have 6,000 people in prevention services, but doesn't really explain how we're going to get that. I'm talking about homeless homeless prevention services. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't really lay it out. Um, I know one thing he definitely wants to do is issue more... Well, I got the impression he wants to issue more bonds, but he also um, wants voters to vote for this constitutional amendment that will allow the city to make um, these equity investments in affordable housing. You know, to what he calls leverage the affordable housing bond that has pretty much done absolutely nothing. Um, 
Have we spent that money yet, the $258 million from the housing bond? No, no. And, and to me, that's one of the, another one of the, the... There were some things where I think he... You know, we always like to accuse Donald Trump of uh, lying and misstating facts. Uh, and it, he misstated some things, too. For example, on the affordable housing bond, at, at one point he said, you know, that this will be used to uh, create 13,000... Or, thir- I'm sorry, 1,300, 1,300 new units when the the measure itself clearly says it is simply to keep or preserve. In other words, you don't necessarily have to add any more affordable housing. It, you could put money into existing affordable housing and you have satisfied that. And in fact, that's where most of the money has gone so far is in, quote unquote, preserving uh, affordable housing. In other words, how just they, buying it from someone else. They buy the house and then they rent They it buy to the units, yeah. They yeah. Buy, buy the complex. Uh, so, um, it, it was interesting, the tone. If you listen to the speech, um, you wouldn't get it, but I watched the speech on video and uh, Richard Nixon said we're all Keynesians now and I think in some sense we're all Trumpians now. If you look at the way he was giving the presentation, it was very Trumpian. He was very animated and you know, you know, really giving his sand signals. You know, kind of one of his one of his big applause lines was uh, talking about immigration and and our status as a sanctuary city. He says, you know, this is the hill I'm going to die on, and I am willing to go to jail. And everyone cheered. <laughs> it's like, and Cameron Witten, who's uh, been a bit of a, a thorn in his side recently. Uh, you know, said, yeah, like that's really going to happen. Um, in the in this in this political world of the, where the the national politics are what they are, he could go to jail. It, I mean, I think that I wouldn't put it past the whole Trump um, cabinet to kind of come after cities and make an example of someone. Well, you know, it's going to be it's going to be hard because now the the feds are. Um, if Ted Wheeler has his way, the feds are going to be uh, investigating into Russian meddling in Portland politics. Have you heard about this? I have. Someone sent me a copy of it so that I read it, and it said that 38% of his followers on Facebook were perhaps not really followers, that they might be foreign accounts. And they're posting comments. The the Russians have finally found Portland. (laughs) How do they know that, I wonder? I don't know. Like, I just imagine <laughs> I imagine him opening over. up his desk drawer and pulling out this big roll of tinfoil and putting it on his hat, on his head. <laughs> it's like, well, gee, you know, no one seems to like me anymore. Uh, could it be my policies or my ineffectiveness as mayor? No. There's only <laughs> one explanation. There's only one explanation for anything, anywhere, everywhere now. Russia. <laughs> it has to be Russia. But and, and you know all the all the all the kids who work in his office because he pretty much only has kids working in his office are are like yeah dad yeah dad I think it is the Russians it has to be the Russians there's no other explanation because you're you're such a great leader only the Russians would be trying to get you to to fail as a great leader. Eric, we're going to have you writing like the the city of Portland comic book because all we need is a biff pow and. We're all there. <laughs> no, I, what I imagine is, uh, remember that Alan Arkin movie, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming? I imagine Wheeler and his staff running through town, you know, looking for the submarine on the Willamette with the giant Soviet periscope popping up. 
<laughs> so you're not a big Wheeler fan, are you? I was. I voted for him. He's just very disappointing. You know, it's 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 disappointing to see wasted talent, and that's what we have. Uh, he came in as pitching himself as a problem solver. He's mm-hmm. kind of a technocratic, boring, green eye, green eye shade problem solver. And, um, you know, he may not be the most exciting mayor, but, you know, the trains are going to run on time and the city's going to work. And, um, you know, it worked for the first week or two uh, when we had the, the riots, at, you know, in early January. Uh, he really took control and, 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 and made sure that those didn't get out of hand. Then you had uh, people starting to protest at his house. And mm-hmm. I think as soon as that happened, he got snake bit. And, and he decided that he did not want to do anything that would um, inflame anyone to the left of center. And, I'm, and I'm not sure that that's entirely the, the rationale because... One of the things that I realize is that we're living this bubble, and he lives in a bubble where he gets this feedback loop from these young, enthusiastic, idealistic advisors, and they and he gets a feedback loop from the people who are his base who support him, and the people who are the most vocal and active in this town are the the furthest, most progressive left, and so I think he listens to that and gets oh, I'm doing it right if they're approving of me. And it's easy when people, he's got an extremely difficult job. And in some ways, maybe the, the you know, technocrat can't manage the city as well as he thought they could because of how huge the job is and how few resources. Like if his answer is we need 93 more cops, but nobody will give him the resources and the council won't support him on that, then how does he do his job? All right, so he might find that that our former government is very difficult and he lives in this bubble where he's getting affirmation from people who don't want him to have the cops. Yeah, I don't know how much I buy that argument because um, he... He's smart, and he's smart in the sense that he was county chair, and so he knows how local government works in Oregon. He knows how impacted budgets are. Um, he, you know, he was the treasurer of the gosh darn state of Oregon. He knows, you know, that, that all the bond issues run in some way or another through the treasurer's office, even just for oversight issues. He knows all these things, so he can't act like he's surprised that all of a sudden the resources to do all the things he wanted to do aren't there because they never were there. Um, it, I think the, his problem is is that he he doesn't really have a guiding light. He didn't doesn't have a a vision of where he wants the city to go, and he gets pushed around. You know, he, he's got the the bicyclists on the one hand telling him to do this. He's got the environmentalists telling him to do something else. He's got the uh, you know the hands up, don't shoot. People telling him to do something different, and um, and and because he doesn't have that guiding light, the last person who's in his office is the person who gets to uh, gets his ear. Well, I think you just described the bubble that I was that I was laying out there. I think that it is a bubble that he hears. You know, sort of reinforces some ideas, but I also believe that. When you are mayor, there are so many other forces that don't allow you to 
like an Im- a great idea implemented imperfectly is not a great idea. So if he doesn't have the ability to, you know, kind of shore up the police force. And, and I think that I agree that he needs additional police because cops that are working double shifts that don't have good training make mistakes. And, you know, cops that are working double shifts and and are so understaffed that they can't even show up on calls anymore, you know, doesn't make a safe city. So if we want community policing, which we as the public have said so long, we need to have more more police officers in order to do that. And but if he can't get the resources, it's hard to make, you know, the, the community policing work, which is very difficult to then kind of monitor and help the homeless situation, which is can be quite destructive sometimes in the sense that, that they don't have good contacts with the police because they're always in an emergency and not in a community sense. So, Yeah. I'm defending him. You know, I, I see that he has a lot of issues, and I wish he had some more advisors who um, had more of a breadth of a breadth of um, different ideas to present to him, I think that would be good for him. Yeah. Well, you know, just that you were talking about budget priorities, I was looking at uh, one of my favorite issues, which is the Portland streetcar. And when did we, when did we start this street? When did we start this, this street feed thing stuff? Was it around 2014, 2013? Um, I believe it was 2014, and for some background for those of you who don't know us, um, Eric and I met when we were fighting uh, Charlie Hales and uh, Mayor at the time and Commissioner Steve Novick's crazy idea of raising money by taxing everybody. <laughs> yeah, but in, it, it wasn't the taxing itself wasn't so bad as the idea of how it was going to be done. It was in a very... It was in a bizarre way that just kept getting more and more bizarre. Um, yeah. Well, the reason why I was, I was asking is because since 2013, the amount of money that the city is spending on streetcar operations has almost doubled over the course of five years. Wow. And I remember it was an outrage. This In 2013, it was $7.9 million. I remember it was an outrage then. It, oh, my gosh, we're spending $7.9 $7. million to subsidize the streetcar. Well, now it's up to 14 Is that including the new cars that they're buying? No. Because they're buying another two, nope. or two cars or something. No. That is... so we're spending $14 million a, year. And a, a year. A year. A year. And how many riders per year? Uh, I, I don't know. They always lie about the ridership. There's a whole city auditor report on that. that right. So you can't really trust their, their ridership numbers. But that's seems like a phenomenal amount of money for a relatively limited um, transportation solution. My argument has been if the streetcar is so great and is such an important part of an integrated transportation network, why don't we sell the streetcar to or turn it over to the entity that's in charge of regional transportation called TriMet. They run the bus system and the, the, the MAX lines, the light rail lines. Um, my suspicion is is that the streetcar is such a stinker that even TriMet doesn't want it. Hmm, I would believe that. It 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 totally makes sense that TriMet should be because it could be part of their transportation network of public 
public transportation, and it's not. It's completely off on its own. Its funding is is on its own, and the decisions about laying the track are are belonging to the city. Yeah, bizarre stuff, huh? It's cute. We're getting some new some new trains. It's cute. It is. Uh, I call it the cruise ship of transportation. Big and beautiful, but slow. Right? Because the point of a, of a cruise ship isn't necessarily to go fast and get you from place to place. In fact, the point of a cruise ship is really not to get you anywhere. Yeah, maybe, maybe the streetcar would be more successful if there was an all-you-could-eat buffet. All-you-can-eat buffet? Uh, well, there's certainly a lot of people who have been to the all-you-can-drink bar who ride it. Uh, <laughs> shuffleboard? Shuffleboard. Really, the streetcar. Yeah. Ride and shuffleboard. <laughs> Well, I'm starting to get a sense that maybe we are uh, um, losing our audience here because we're, we're over time. Now we're degenerating. As soon as I start talking about streetcars, you know that we've run out of things to talk about. Right. We'll have to, we'll have to figure out whether we're going we're gonna to start with the fun stuff first next time. I guess so. So, there we go. Nice show. Right. See you next week, guys. Bye.